0: thirsty you've come to the right place to wet your whistle it's the liquid lifestyle with ryan mcgarian a full hour of
1: liquid refreshment now here's ryan Every was
2: dancing in the
1: moonlight. all right all right what is cracking out there my imbibing friend well as you know by the sound of my voice now it's time to chat liquid deliciousness for the next hour as you ride the earth with us here at the liquid lifestyle on the radio northwest network And of course, if you are tuned in for the first time, I am your host and on-air bartender, Ryan McGarrian. And this, as with all of our broadcasts, is about super yummy beverages, with the particular passion for keeping you engaged with the latest the industry has to offer with regards to such potent potables as spirits and cocktails, beers, wines, and the fine folks and joints that serve them up, be them right here in the Rose City, or of course, parts far, far beyond. All right, so as a couple of our past guests have noted, uh, one of the most notable trends in our industry today is a refocus on the service aspect of the bar experience. And from where I'm drinking, I think the timing is just right. Uh, You see, for the past decade and a half, the beverage industry has really spent the majority of its time rediscovering the reality that mixing drinks is truly an art and a science and an authentic part of our culinary heritage, which of course uh, has led to a laser-like industry focus on the product itself. Um, maybe even uh, foregoing perhaps the overall guest experience in the product, uh, process in some, uh, in some shapes and forms. Uh, well, now that those bartenders have taken that season to up their game in the mixing space, service is again the order of the day. And few bars in the city exemplify this renewed passion for service and the one you and I find ourselves sitting in today, a super sweet, new west side watering hole called shift drinks and as you know we've been over on the east side quite a bit lately and man i grew up out by 185th so it's good to be back on this side of the willamette ocean and this is a bar you're definitely going to want to put on your liquid Circuits circuit (laughs) my bad and to tell us all about this new experience we've got shift drinks uh proprietor duo two titans of hospitality here in the rose city elise Moffat and anthony garcia folks how the heck are you today
2: doing real well Doing
0: real well. Nice and warm. Yes. When will this heat end?
1: Man, it's been, uh, it's been a little brutal. It's slowly, slowly ticking down. So, man, I am so excited to be with you guys today talking shift drinks. As you know, you've seen me here quite a bit. I've been pulling shifts over at Hamlet and come 1230, man, I'm, I'm thirsty for one of those frosty pints of premium pilsner you've got on right now. But, uh, you know, this is really cool. Shift drinks, I mean, it's really obviously an industry-focused concept, service-focused Elise, would you just tell us how this thing uh, kind of found its roots?
2: Yeah, Anthony and I were working together at the Multnomah Whiskey Library. Um, Had a great time there. We were learning a whole bunch. Uh, The one thing that we found, though, that we wanted in working there was to take care of more of our friends. It was a great place to meet a lot of movers and shakers in the city more on the political end but not that many industry kids were coming in and that's really who we wanted to take care of so we wanted to take that elevated style of service and knowledge and provide it to our peers
1: Anthony how soon after you and Elise began working together at the uh, Multnomah Whiskey Library uh, how soon did you guys start to kind of think hey we might be a good partnership uh, and and maybe we, we should begin working on this project
0: I mean, for me, it was more like week one, Uh, kind of Elise set herself aside as um, someone that was unflappable, that had the same ideas about service and drink as I had. Uh, I'm a little bit older than Elise, or a lot, Uh, so she reminded me of myself, you know, when I was in my uh, late 20s, and there was a time when we did, like, these mock service trials. If anyone's been to the Multnomah Whiskey Library, you know it's... uh, Tableside side cart service very very high level of being on your game uh... being focused toward uh... your guests and working well as a team working efficiently communicating with each other and you know, uh... tommy clues and and myself uh, ran through like what a mock service would look like and i asked them, do you want me to make this kind of like master sommelier style where we're really going to drill these kids and see what you know what they're all about uh, that way tomorrow when we open our doors they're not so freaked out because the test will be harder than actual real experience and I rattled a few kids uh uh, friends of mine that you know they end up becoming friends with later uh but uh at least it was impossible to flap her I mean like she was just so on her game before we even opened up the doors and I was just like huh I need to take note of this person because uh that's the person I want to kind of like maybe maybe I would learn some stuff from you know not not me imparting any knowledge like what what can I learn uh, because you know we we learn from each other and uh, yeah is it's always a neat story I'm glad you asked that one but yeah I'd say first week
1: I can share the sentiment about Elise here. I've uh, had the opportunity to uh, to work with her uh, over at House Spirits Distillery for many years. She was one of our original original peeps, and uh, that's the very same experience. So, obviously, you have a, a great partner. So, um, how many months did it take to, to go from, like, we're going to do this, uh, it's time to raise some capital, it's time to put together all the the vision, the design, yada, yada, yada. How many months did that take, Elise?
2: Um, I mean, we started... Really thinking and talking about the concept uh, probably May 2014, um, really started kind of honing in on design and putting together a plan really within about a month, we were very proactive on getting, getting into it, which in the long run made us kind of do the waiting game a little bit longer than we wanted to with actually opening our doors. But we didn't really waste any time kind of jumping onto it. We both really enjoy working a lot, so taking on that extra project was really exciting for us, um, especially because we got to play spy games. We got to kind of like do it on the side and find these secret bars and really kind of hone in together on it.
1: That's really cool. So as I sit here and look around, it, it is a really dramatic space right here on the corner of uh, Southwest 12th and Morrison. And, uh, you know, so you mentioned design. Uh, man, what was, uh, Anthony, if you want to kind of lead us into this, uh, what were some of your design
0: inspirations? The one inspiration was, you know, having moved to Portland four years ago and looking at all the, and visiting all the neighborhoods and enjoying the, the look and feel of each one. It was to. We knew we wanted to put a bar very close to Multnomah Whiskey Library in the West End, or close to it. We we believe in the neighborhood. We've you know we're coming to work every day and looking and seeing and uh, and and so we were very very you know we're like a half block away from Multnomah Whiskey Library. So we got our wish there. But it was to find something or to design something that would fit nicely into the neighborhood, but be distinctly different. Than all of our neighbors, particularly our neighbors that sell drink and food for a living, and so uh, we we did that. We're we're kind of the opposite of the library. And I would not say that like a, we're better. It's like they're wood and and brass and old time feel and leather, and it's it's a beautiful, awe inspiring room when you go into it. We're the opposite. We're very modern, very urban. Uh, we're black and white, gray. Uh, you know, we don't have really any pictures of old Portland except for one kind of cheeky image of a lineup of honey buckets when you come out of the bathroom uh, so you know that, that was basically it it was just to, how could we like be different and still fit within the neighborhood and that's one thing I think I
1: really clued in on myself when I came in is it's a uh, it's a movement away from a lot of kind of the the zeitgeist of really rustic Portland aesthetic that I'm guilty of very, very often. Uh, and I think that's really exciting. Before we jump out of this segment, Elisa, uh, I love all these old black and white pics. Uh, who curated all these?
2: Uh, Anthony and I did. We spent a very long time going through hundreds and thousands of images and not really setting a tone for any particular aesthetic, but just knowing that we wanted to keep the black and white feel, a bar feel, and still have nods to architecture and a little bit of old class here and there.
1: My favorite is the one that's uh, as you walk into this place and it's It's just dramatic. It's got these massive windows, so it just like you feel like you're part of the outside. It's uh, it's an inside out, outside in vibe here. But there's this uh, this picture above the bar, or directly above all your all your back bar, about the I think it's uh, this guy getting splashed in the face. Do you know anything about that one? I, I,
2: that comes from an old photo series. I actually had a friend come in and was really intrigued by it, and he looked it up. It's an old photo series called A Man Gets Out of Jail. And I don't know if it's a fictional series or it is a true series where it was a photographer following this man his first day out of jail. And it's actually a two-part series. So we have the one above the bar where he's getting slapped or splashed in the face by a drink and then one on the way to the restroom where it's actually a bartender breaking up a fight in the, between the two women that are also in the first photo as well. So in my head, it's he gets out of jail, maybe meets up with his old mistress, and he runs into his wife at the bar. She throws a drink in his face and then, then ensues to get in a fight with this woman.
1: The interpretive artistic experience here at Shift Drinks uh, here in southwest Portland on the corner of 12th and Morrison. Once again, we are here with their proprietors, uh, Elise Moffat and Anthony Garcia. Uh, We've been talking all about its backstory and its design. Uh, Looking forward to talking about their staffing and uh, their drinks in the next segment. Back at you in a few. welcome back to the liquid lifestyle here on the radio northwest network uh we got two awesome uh industry titans with us today uh anthony garcia and elise Moffat, here at shift drinks a brand new west side bar on the corner of southwest 12th and morrison and we've uh we've heard their backstory we've been talking design i want to go back a, talk a little bit more about this room because it's massive i mean when i first came in you know, I, I kind of had this idea of more this kind of small quaint bar. That's, that's not what this is. This is a big, booming party room, and, uh, and I think that's exciting because I think Portland is so chock full of these little hideaways. I'm looking forward to a day when we see that big city bar in Portland again, so I'm grateful for that. Can you tell me a little bit about what this was before you took it over?
0: Well, it was a bank originally. We have a, still have a bank vault that's immovable, so we just put it, turned it into a wine cellar. Uh, between the bank and us it was a company that manufactured tobacco products or not manufactured they marketed them Um, and that's pretty much it 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 was never a bar before Uh, so the the, we just kind of came in and got to look above the drop ceiling and saw like there were these very large columns that were being hidden there was hideous carpeting that we uh, removed and it's like uh, my, my wife said The thing that you'll probably just do there is remove things as opposed to add things in order to, like, capture the beauty. And so, uh, like, our first week someone came in and they asked us how much it cost to put the columns in. And I'm like, well, the the columns have been here since 1927. We just removed the drop ceiling and, and voila.
1: You got anything to share with
2: us about that, Elise? Um, yeah, I mean that's exactly what Anthony said. We didn't really do much addition to the space itself. We just exposed the actual beauty. It was from 1927, so it has this really kind of cool, like almost old Hollywood vibe already about it. And yeah, it was it was kind of. I mean, it was vacant for five years, and working across the street, we always saw this space, and it didn't. It was it looked so strange compared to what it was and now what it is. It's kind of funny, you know, the 70s and 80s didn't do much for architecture in this area. It kind of masked a lot of the old school beauty, and we just did, just wanted to expose that.
1: I tell you what, that's I'm, I'm glad you said old Hollywood, because I guess in my mind, I couldn't place it. There's kind of a noir uh, uh, sensibility to this, but not in a negative or dark way, just more in a whimsical kind of way, I guess, and, and old Hollywood now just really puts puts things together from a context perspective. So as you, my thirsty listener, already have probably heard, I like to think of things from um, a perspective of ESP environment, service, and product. And when you balance all those components and you align those with your demographic, you generally find yourself with a pretty successful concept. And I think that's what they've done here. But we've been talking a ton about the vibe because obviously the vibe is super important. Uh, But let's move on to the S, the service perspective. I mean, you guys are, you know, you guys are Jedi's of creating great service teams, uh, especially with your pedigree from the Whiskey Library. Uh, Anthony, if you could speak to, you know, who, what kind of industry professional were you looking for to to populate this place with?
0: Well, Elise and I knew we were going to be living here, particularly for the first year. And so I think Number one was, who, who would we want to spend all day long with, all night long with, working in the trenches? Um, we both really enjoy a, a thorough ass-whooping when we work, and you want to make sure that you've got people staff that also enjoy that thorough ass-whooping. Uh, the harder that you work, the more you come together as a team. And that was kind of the, it was more like trying to figure out chemistry. And so, uh, having said that, we sort of picked people that we already knew, we've already worked with, and uh, or or maybe have made drinks for in some cases where we haven't worked with them, but we've had their drinks or they've had our drinks. And so, uh, yeah, that was that was it. And uh, we we lucked out. Um, we also uh, it's it's strange. We're a bar that has two advanced sommeliers, myself and Karen Benke, who uh, was at Andina, and that's kind of a. Uh, Uh, an interesting tale. We knew we wanted to have a wine component along with the cocktail component just to have a diverse offering that, you know, not everybody wants to go out and drink craft cocktails, and and sometimes people want glasses of wine, and so uh, we uh, we were able to uh, to basically beg Karen to come work here. Uh, literally, it was the only like employee that we like courted like three outings and drinks and dinner. It's like please work here. Uh, we really need you. And uh, and so that's uh, that that really I don't say it paid off for us. Like we we're what a blessing just to have her because she's uh, she's quite talented and, and in the trenches there's nobody that's tighter
1: totally man that's awesome glad you were able to to lock down such a just a key staff member um elise uh what does what does the training look like for a uh bartender server team member here at shift drinks i mean i know you guys come from I mean, the train i don't i can't even my head probably can't even get uh, around what Multnomah whiskey libraries training looks like but obviously this is not the whiskey library so uh, what is what does the training look like for you guys
2: um that's actually quite funny. Our training day was very interesting. It was more or less a big discussion on theory and what Anthony and I wanted to do in the endeavor of this project and pouring our hearts out and again like Anthony said we did pick some hardcore professionals that we didn't really do much training. We we told them right off the bat that we expected a lot from them and I think that fear kind of in itself kind of made them train themselves to be on a certain level. Um, Again, like Anthony said, we were uh, very particular in who we picked. And one thing that a lot of our employees have in common is that they were actually restaurant people that we were bringing into the bar world. So they already had this element of kind of a fine dining way of keeping yourself. Um, It's just kind of translating that into how that works in a bar. So a lot of the execution is the same of being in a restaurant, but there's still that... 2.15 2.15 last call and getting, you know, drunk people out of the bar as fast as you can. Uh, so there, there was definitely training in the fact of, you know, how cocktails are going to be made, how we're going to do um, execute certain things like coffee and tea, um, how we're going to be pouring our wines and our sake. Um, but more or less, we, we put a lot of faith in our employees and we were very lucky to get some some true rock stars out of that.
1: Let me ask you this. I got a question. How many, what percentage of your staff have either of you actually worked with in the past? Is it like near 100% Anthony? What was the question I got? The question was how many people on your staff have you actually worked with? Is there anybody that's on your staff that you haven't worked with?
0: No, I think it's three. It's Big Tone. It's Elise. Who's the third?
2: Angela and Matt Castellute. Angela and Matt
0: Castellute, yes. And so Matt also works at Rum Club. He's probably everyone's favorite uh, server there. And Angela uh, works a little bit at, uh, like, I hired folks that already had other jobs uh, just, you know, just because uh, it's nice to have people that know that they're on the dedicated day. They give it their all. They go home, and then they go to their next job. But, yeah, so three three people all together.
1: Awesome, man. We are going to jump out back for our third segment in a moment. Welcome back to the Liquid Lifestyle on the Radio Northwest Network. Again, this is Ryan you your on-air bartender, and we are sitting here on the corner of Southwest 12th and Morrison at an awesome new watering hole, Shift Drinks. Uh, we're sitting uh, right here at Shift Drinks, talking to their proprietors, Elise Moffat and Anthony Garcia, and we've been talking design, environment, uh, staffing, which is so critical to a you know a truly service-forward house. But well, we got a whole segment of booze to talk about, folks, and, and I just want to start with the back bar. And a lot of crafty places tend to have massive, massive back bars. Yours is not massive. It's not small by any stretch of the imagination. And as a professional myself, I think it's obviously super well curated. Curated, Elise, what was, is there a philosophy behind you know kind of a tighter back bar scenario as the one you have here?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, working in a lot of those places, as you mentioned before, having a very large back bar, Even it's not that it's not curated. It's sometimes filled for different reasons. And I definitely wanted a bar that had flavor profiles in each specific categories that were all met, but also something that was a little bit more exact and pinpoint. Um, from our cocktail list to our beer list and our wine-by-the-glass list, there is kind of a theme of it being quite short, and that was more or less not necessarily to take away options, but to find or to focus people on one particular flavor profile. Being like, if you want this, we have these three things. It makes it a little bit faster for people to decide and shows that we've actually put a lot of thought into holding that one product. That's
1: one trend I like seeing is this kind of condensation, or condensing, I should say, of of cocktail and spirit menus. Because what that shows me, it's very perspective driven. It really shows you that, yeah, the people behind this They've been around a while, they know what they're doing, and instead of just putting everything out there, they're kind of using their expertise to curate a very specific perspective and experience. So I do really, really appreciate uh, what you're doing with regards to that. Uh, Are there any bottles on your back bar that you're particularly passionate about right now, Elise?
2: Um, there are a couple. Uh, the, I have this mezcal, the mezcalero, the number 11, which is absolutely beautiful. I've had several people on my staff say that they hated mezcal until they tried it. It's three different wild agaves as well as one farmed espidine. It's Absolutely gorgeous. Um, I'm very excited that I found two more bottles of Hibiki 12 before it moves away from the no age statement. Um, so I'm ready and happy to get those in people's hands. And then two whiskeys that I was fortunate enough to write about in Nylon Magazine, which is the Armroot Fusion as well as the Elijah Craig Barrel Proof. Beautiful, really, really cool, high-octane whiskeys, a little different than you'll see around town, and kind of change as well. They both start off as one thing and morph into something else.
1: Well, you can truly take the woman out of the whiskey library, but you can't take the whiskey out of the woman. Uh, You know what? I want to talk about your cocktails as well, because once again, it's not this like three-page library. It is one, two, three, six, six cocktails. And they're all five ingredients or less. And I think that shows a lot of confidence. Um... Are there any drinks you feel that have emerged as the signature mixed drink experience here at the library? Uh, sorry, at <laughs> Shift <laughs> Drinks, <laughs> Elise.
2: Um, yeah, there definitely are two that kind of come to mind in that. Uh, one's going to be the Palermo Viejo, number two. It's chenar gin, pompalum, mousse, mint, and a little bit of orange bitters. That's kind of a riff on a chenar julep, which was something that I experienced seeing a lot in the Palermo district in Buenos Aires. Uh, really nice, kind of bitter, sweet, and fresh. People love mint here in Oregon, especially in the uh, summertime. And then the other one that I see being very popular, um, which I'm very happy about because it's one of my favorite things to drink, is the Besos for Pesos, which is a kind of a uh, take on a Calimocho. But instead of just having regular red wine, it is a mold wine and Mexican Coke. Really great and refreshing, almost has this kind of sangria thing going on with it. And I feel like it really invokes summer with also bringing in the wintry roots that is our city.
1: Real quick, uh, I don't know if a lot of our listeners uh, know what mold wine is. Can you tell us what mold wine? Is? And I think we're going to start seeing it quite a bit moving into autumn and winter.
2: Uh, mold wine is um, something that you see a little bit more in Europe, uh, definitely Eastern Europe as well. vine kind of being a A riff on it in the kind of eastern area and essentially you take mulling spices which you're going to get clove cinnamon nutmeg a little bit of cardamom i actually put some allspice and black pepper in there as well and you cook it in the wine with orange and lemon peels and it really invokes this really great kind of wintry almost kind of christmas spice to it Um, and yeah usually it's served hot so you can kind of have it going in a crock pot when you're having your little holiday celebrations i do really like it cold though it's something that i experienced drinking in the czech republic
1: I tell you, my least favorite name for any cooking device remains crockpot. My mom used to get out that Crock-Pot, and I just, i oh, man, I don't know. But that's a much better use for it than what uh, I'm not going to even get into my mom's cooking. Because for the most part, it's really, really good. I guess the Crock-Pot <laughs> just didn't work for me. But uh, moving over to Anthony, he's our wine master here. And uh, I want to talk, t- uh, it's a really exciting, very intellectual wine menu. Um, what was what were your thoughts behind curating a kind of a, a wine menu for an industry-focused bar?
0: Uh, it's strange. The uh, the, the concept of a wine menu was basically to, I guess, show that there's some thought in the categories that are there, but the way that also for it to reflect kind of my look at how I evaluate a wine, particularly if I'm evaluating a wine under a blind circumstance um, – it is to look at the wine regions or the wine types as falling into two main categories is it terroir driven or is it technique driven And technique driven means that the winemaker's stamp is on that wine it's more about how the wine is made and less about where it's from champagne would be the quintessential example of it today we talk a lot about growing, grower champagne and it's very popular but. At the end of the day, it's still a product of how the wine's made, not where it's from. Um, the uh, other category being terroir-driven, that is where the glass of wine literally is a snapshot or a picture window to that vineyard or to that region. And those are the broad categories that we kind of have it uh, with a couple different uh, you know, subcategories. We have uh, an area that has uh, orange wines, natural wines, experimental wines. And uh, we find that those are actually the most popular category. It's, it's people are adventurous, uh, which is funny because they can be very uh, off-putting to someone that's never had a natural wine or an orange wine uh, before. And uh, so it's kind of a, you know, we get a kick out of it anytime someone orange, you know, uh, orders something that's uh, from that category. And then uh, the number one category though, it's summer, it's hot, uh, it's rosé. Like we sell more rosé than any other beverage I mean, any other wine.
2: Almost any other beverage, though. There's yeah, <laughs> a lot of rosé in here.
1: I could tell you after a, a long-shifted hamlet last night, I think my, my arm is sore from pulling the, uh, the draft that uh, pours our, our, our rosé. You're right. Rosé has boomed back into the uh, drinking vernacular. Anthony, why is that?
0: Uh, I think it's, I mean, for me, it's, it's because rosé is something you don't think about. Uh, you know, we, we've spent the last maybe 20 years or so really talking about how things taste, flavor profiles, and there's a little bit of pretension to it. Uh, you know, I've spent a good part of my life studying for exams, uh, sommelier exams, and at the end of the day, I don't want to analyze a, a, a glass of wine. I want to just enjoy it. Um, and so you'll, you'll never find a rosé being offered to you under a blind tasting or testing format. And I think the, the general populace is the same way. It's like, it's tasty, it's, it's refreshing, it looks cool. I mean, maybe it didn't look cool uh, back when people were more machissimo, but uh, I see more dudes drinking rosé than I do women, actually, here. Uh, so I just think it's that thing that it's, it's just a not pretentious thing to enjoy that at the end of the day is just very tasty. Well,
1: I tell you what, the way you describe that, you make me think that it might just be the pilsner of the wine world, just, you know, just super drinkable, depending on how it's made. It has an inherent complexity, but it doesn't hit you over the head with it. Uh, You can get lost in three, four, five glasses of rosé, if it's the right rosé, and not even know what happened to you. But, uh, oh, I'm enjoying this conversation. I hope you are too. Once again, we're at Shift Drinks, with Anthony and Elise here on the corner of Southwest 12th and Morrison and we'll be back for one more segment in just a bit. Again, we are at Shift Drinks with Anthony Garcia and Elise Moffat here on the west side and we have talked all about this exciting new concept uh it's a big bad place to drink uh great design great vibe uh again we were talking about how it kind of channels old hollywood um i think it can be you can come in in your in your lululemon and chill out with the pilsner or you can come in after a wedding and feel right at home with a nice bottle of wine uh, selected by anthony here and uh you know of course if you have great drink it certainly makes sense to have great food. And I like one of the things I enjoy is this continuous line from from kitchen to bar. So it's all one big show all right in front of the guest. Um, Anthony, tell me a little bit. I, you know, the other thing I love is that you're working with your wife. And I actually think that's a pretty healthy thing. I think uh, I always find that couples that work together, there's just this extra level of connection you get from that. Um, but really don't want to go off Uh, piece too much on this uh tell us about what kind of food you guys are serving here
0: well the the food is sort of inspired by a uh a restaurant that's no longer around in new york city but uh it used to be in the west village called eno and it was just this little closet of a place that served wine panini fresh salads and bruschetta and that was pretty much it and uh You know, it's like where you walk in and the the table's pulled out so you can squeeze in next to the next person. And they're using just really fresh ingredients. And that's kind of what we like to enjoy as snacks. And and Anne's, uh, even though she's worked at a lot of great places here in the city and for a lot of like super famous chefs, her approach is just very, very minimal, very, very fresh, uh, almost an anti-style, if you will. Uh, And uh, Elise and I lamented Every night when we would get out, particularly those first three months at the Whiskey Library, there was no place to eat late night except for a couple places that did a really nice burger and fries. And, but you can't live off burger and fries every single night. And so we wanted to have something that was wholesome. We won't say like our menu is healthy, but you, you're less likely to hate yourself after you eat one of our dishes at 2.20 in the morning.
1: So Elise you're the one probably eating a lot of this food, I would imagine. Uh, Somebody comes in after work, after a shift, they want something pretty substantial and fresh and clean. What's your wheelhouse?
2: Um, I usually, I would say the wheelhouse of what I suggest and what I would snack on here is going to be the ruchettas and the salads. Right now is prime tomato season. So the PLT, which is prosciutto, arugula, and tomato right now is just flying off the shelves. I think we had an order. We had like six orders in at one time for just that last night. Um, And then come salads. The shaved fennel salad is just the best. There's something so nice and refreshing about it. You're still getting a lot of that liquid and water from the fennel. So it's, you're filling up, but also, also feeling kind of light at the same time. And getting off work at you know, 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning, you need that wake up because you're still going to be up for another hour or so. But having something like that that is more refreshing is a nice way to go about it. And you know, there's still cheese in it, so you're still getting a little guilt in there.
1: For sure, uh, what's wrong with cheese? Some protein, keep the muscles pumping. Uh, I know, I've, I've, I just, I didn't, I haven't gotten by the top of the list, which is the fresh ricotta, as Giada would say, uh, tomato and basil. And I tell you what, for eight bucks that's really substantial i mean you can i like that you can get in and out of here uh without breaking the bank uh, i think that's uh, i think obviously that's going to be a part of the reason you're going to have a lot of success um so obviously it's called shift drinks uh and i know that the emphasis has been on it being uh, an industry haunt uh how is that being received on the west side
0: uh it very much is a uh industry haunt um it, it's like if you build it they will come i guess maybe we 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 may have took it for granted that it was going to be because uh, I know a, f- a few people and Elise knows just about every single bartender in the city. So, uh, But that opening night, I mean, we just op- you know got approved to open our doors, announced it on Eater. We're opening at 7 o'clock and the, the tidal wave of people that came in that opening night, which was cooks and chefs and bartenders and because we opened on a Monday, it was a good day that people had off. Uh, it it, uh, it still blows me away. I just I cannot believe it was just jam packed with our peers uh, raising a glass to to our opening and and uh, so like from day one it was an industry bar uh, and uh, and we're we're thankful. Like uh, having said that, if you don't have to be in the industry to enjoy a shift drink, we all deserve one uh, at the end of a hard day's work. Uh, but uh, but you know if we're going to have this high service that we want to give to our peers. It's the same exact service we're going to also give to just normal people that like to go out and have a drink and a snack.
1: Well, one of the things that I think is pretty cool is it's almost like it's a it's almost like a genre. It's almost like a for the average person kind of a a sneaky little peek into what it is that the industry wants at 1 in the morning it's almost like voyeuristic in some ways for for the general public and i think that's pretty exciting um elise uh, tell me about uh yeah how are the how are the non-industry folk uh receiving i know there's always been a great happy hour around this side of town and happy hour uh at 5 p.m usually is an industry folk uh how, how are the, how are the people out there working nine to five uh how, how are they born in here as well
2: yeah, I mean it's it's very interesting, just like how you said it is like this voyeuristic kind of take on it. And right now, with the popularity of cooking shows and stuff like that, people want a little peek into it. So we are getting those nine to fivers coming in, and they you know getting some nice snacks and glasses of wine. They're enjoying the space for what it is. We have large tables, so big groups can come in, and it's it's been really well received.
1: I'm so stoked. You guys are awesome. You're bringing such goodness kindness and deliciousness to the portland scene specifically to the west side once again we've been with anthony garcia and elise Moffat here at shift drinks this is your airways bartender ryan mcgarian signing out reminding you to always drink your best